Hey, Carl, do you remember when we had Dave Krasinski on the podcast talking about his website, Heads Up Health? Oh, man, that was fun. And what a cool app. Yeah, I like how you can take a data-driven and self-directed approach to your health. Of course you do. You're a geek like me. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Heads Up Health lets you track your macros, ketones, blood sugar, weight, body measurements, and all that and more. And I like how you can integrate your lab test results for a more complete picture of your health. Yeah, I started connecting my family members and doctors to my profile, and now they're all using it. Yeah, I was able to link it with Strava, which has all my bike ride data, my Fitbit app, my Fitness Pal data, which is my food diary, and it's free. Yeah, just go to headsup.2keto.com and sign up. That's headsup.2keto.com. And tell them the dude sent you. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet since April 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, so I've completely turned my health around. In this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored cannot no so let's start podcast number 80 rogue dietitian so richard do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show um actually no i don't think that was mark and karen's keto parent show with the little keto kiddos tacked on at the end yeah and we got lots of great feedback from that. Thank you, everybody. Yep. We're going to go live with that. Uh, it's going to be its own podcast with its own distribution channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking forward to more uh, keto parenting and more keto kiddos. Yeah, and more podcasts. We have some more pilots to drop on you coming up here soon, but not today. No, today it's going to be just us. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet is a low-carbohydrate, moderate-protein, high-fat diet. So, this Mm -hmm. is uh, essentially 20 grams of carbs or less per day. Uh, Protein is moderate. You want to get about a one gram to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass that you have Mm -hmm. per day. Yep. And then fat to satiety. So, the rule is just Mm. eat fatty proteins. Uh, until you're not hungry anymore and stop. That's it. And when you're not hungry, stop. And when you are hungry, eat. Yeah. Can't get much more simple than that. And uh, that has uh, some miraculous effects as that's that's why we're here. 
That's so, right. Richard, how was your week, man? And by the way, part of my sexy phlegm, uh, I got it now. I don't know what it is, but it, it is, you know, getting a little cooler uh, here yeah. at night. And I think, you know, it's just a seasonal thing. But anyway, how was your week? We're in the last three days of uh, winter here. So uh, it's just, it's still cold. And yeah. I've, I'm, I'm still getting over the flu a little bit. I went to Threadbow for the mm-hmm. week, uh, which was a, a low-carb down-under conference that was held at a ski resort. Kind of like – it's a little bit like Breckenridge, except the highest elevation of Threadbow is about where Dr. Jeff Gerber's home is in Colorado. <laughs> so we don't have these uh, uh, big mountains in Australia like yeah. uh, you guys are lucky enough to have. So we end up skiing on slushy snow, and uh, it is what it is. But, yeah. Uh, we, had, we had a great time. We met lots of uh, interesting people there. And we're going to hear from one of them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, Feng Yuan Liu, who is a dietitian, and so we're going to hear from her later on. Uh, so we had a great uh, week uh, doing uh, low carb presentations, both of us, and uh, lots of uh, low carb food. Unfortunately, Dr. Bruckner, who is the coach of the Australian cricket team, who was supposed to um, go to the conference wasn't able to make it because oh. he had uh, book commitments. So, oh, but well. I am going to meet up with him in October at the low carb down under conference at the Gold Coast, hmm. and I hope to get a, a maybe I might do an interview with him then. Hmm. Great, yeah. So, how was your week, Carl? It was really good. Um, you can hear late, as I said before, I got a little scratch in my throat, got a little cough, but mm. I'm hoping to get over that. Uh, have we talked on the show since my 50th birthday, August 11th? No, we haven't. Yeah. How was that? It was pretty great. Um, the band played over on the beach in Mesquamacate, Rhode Island at a well, place you were called the, band, the Windjammer. Right? Yeah, yeah. We were the band for, mm. you know, it was just another Franklin Brothers show, but since yeah. it was my birthday, a bunch of friends showed up and we had a very good time. Nice. So. And I think awesome. there's a few video. there's at least two videos on YouTube because I, you know, I'm an audio guy, right? So not mm. only do we run the band sound system with an iPad and a and a uh, a mixer, a digital mixer that doesn't have any knobs on it, <laughs> but you can also record multi-track with that. So right. everybody, every microphone, everything that's plugged into that gets recorded on a separate track. Then I can mix all nice. that down just like I would in a studio. So so we did a couple of videos that sound really good. And I'll put links to those. Other than that, uh, I discovered pate this week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Carl Franklin discovers pate, film at 11. <laughs> I, and I really hadn't had, um, you know, pate all that much. Uh, you know, the kind that has the aspic around it. Sure. And, and pepper, sure. you know, cracked pepper and, you know, some liver and... Yeah. Some other meats and things. Uh, you know, it's a really delicious way to get liver, which I, you know, yeah. have to, I have to be diligent about. Yeah, I'm not a fan of liver, as you know. Yeah, I uh, can't tolerate the stuff. Uh, but my recipe later on today will actually be a non-liver form of pate. No kidding! What a quinky dink! <laughs> yeah, what a quinky dink! So, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But um, yeah, so. What I didn't mention when we were in Threadbow is we found a Brazilian steakhouse. Oh. And, and they do, they come around with swords with meat on. Oh, yeah. And they carve slices of meat off for you. And there was like 
40 different kinds of meat, and one of them was chicken hearts, and they had a long skewer with chicken hearts that had been marinated in garlic and lemon juice and parsley and then cooked, and they were delicious. So when it comes to getting in some of these more awful uh, Mm. kinds of meat, I'm actually going to put some effort into making my own chicken hearts. Hmm. Great. Well, this is the portion of the show where we announce a winner of a piece of swag from our swag Mm. store. And uh, we are giving away the Keep Calm and Keto on mugs now. Nice. Today's winner is John Cotter. Congratulations, Congratulations, John. John. We'll be sending that to you. I already got John's address. He was very happy about Mm -hmm. it. Says that, you know, our podcast has changed his life and uh, it's been fantastic. So, congratulations, John. And uh, just to remind everybody, the the Two Keto Dudes Fan Club is basically a website you go sign up at. You answer literally four or five questions and uh, you give us your email address and we pick a winner of a coffee mug every show. Yeah. And if you want to get one of those mugs and you can't wait until your name comes up in the lottery, then you can always go to gear.tuketo.com and uh, you can buy that stuff online. That's right. And to sign up for the fan club, go to fanclub.tuketo.com. Okay. That brings us to. Oh, we've both got the sexy flame. It's just not good. <laughs> there is nothing sexy about this flam, let me tell you. It's just no. nasty. Nasty, nasty, nasty. No, so I'm going to go first. Uh, I've got one from the Ketogenic Forums. It's uh, Keep Calm Keto On, Patience Pays Off. Wait a minute. That's my mail. Really? <laughs> That's the one you picked? Yeah, it is the one I picked. <laughs> well, you know, okay. the, the reason well, is it's because it's the best mail we've had in, you know, a week or two at least. I know. Well, I'll, why don't you read out the original? Oh, okay. And then we can both comment on it. That sounds good. Sure. We'll just do yeah. one mail today. Yeah. Well, this is in the progress uh, forum, and it's from a user mm-hmm. named Gatita, which is kitten in Spanish. And yeah. she says, I guess I am now the queen of stall patients, lol. I pretty much <laughs> stopped losing. Oh, I don't even remember. Maybe January, February. I went low carb last fall and full on keto in January and somewhere in there stopped losing after a good 20 pounds or more that fell off fast when I started low carb. Mm-hmm. I kept calm and ketoed on. <laughs> I tried a very, very high fat experiment for a couple of weeks and put like six to eight pounds back on. Oops. Oops. Then in June, I started IFing, intermittent fasting, three mm-hmm. days a week, lost a few pounds. Then they too popped back on. But I kept calm and ketoed on. Nice. In July, I added a mini Zorn fast, and that's the mm-hmm. regularly scheduled fast that Brenda Zorn uh, sort of rallies people around and yep. lost a few pounds that stayed off. Then I went back to IFing and no more losses. Then I did a couple days egg fast. I guess that's where you just eat eggs, right? Yeah. Lost yep. a few more pounds. Then went back to regular keto. I kept calm and ketoed on. And ketoed on. <laughs> <laughs> then for some mysterious reason, I've just been losing and losing on a steady basis the last couple of weeks with little or no fasting, eating keto treats and all. All told, I'm now down about 13 more pounds since June. And the inches, oh, the inches, sizes keep (laughs) going down. All of which is a very, very long way of saying, just keep calm and keto on. 
The weight comes off when it wants to come off. Since this is a permanent way of life, what's the big hurry? I stuck it out for long-term health reasons and because I just knew the weight would go when it was ready to go. So glad I did. And you all have been my inspiration and kept me on track the whole time. Love this forum. How cool is that? (laughs) So my response to that is awesome little cat, which I guess is the direct (laughs) translation of the Spanish. Yeah. Um, And uh, when she said the weight comes off when it wants to come off, I think that's a very important statement. Uh, That's also my strategy to to keep calm and keto on. So Hmm. to give you a little science to go along with Gedita's story, fat cells live roughly 10 years. And any single year, about 10% of our fat cells die off from old age and they release their contents into circulation. And their job gets taken over by a brand new baby fat cell. And those nascent cells never knew the bad days of when they had to live in obese bodies. So they're a lot better at responding to signals than the old ones that they replaced. Eventually, after five years, half of your fat cells are newbies and half of them are the old cranky ones that are still cranky about what we did to them. (laughs) So this is really my secret is I'm I'm trying to outlive the cranky ones. Yeah. And I'm just keeping calm and kidoing on. Well said. And, you know, I I had forgotten that, that. After 10 years of keto, you pretty much have a a whole new store of fat cells. That's right. Yeah. That that probably aren't as insulin resistant as the old ones. So, one of the things that happens as soon as you go on a a low-carb or ketogenic diet, especially if you're obese and if you're obese and diabetic, uh, one of the things that happens as you put on more and more weight is your body increases the amount of insulin to keep fat in your fat cells. Mm. And eventually, your fat cells can take in no more fat. They become insulin resistant purely mechanistically. Mm. They just can't hold on to the fat any longer and it's spilling out into circulation. Mm. And now you have a problem where somebody has fat spilling out into circulation. They have high insulin, so they can't use that fat mm. and they're hungry all the time, have no energy. So this right. is, this is the typical problem of somebody who is obese and eating a, a high carb diet with high levels of insulin in their blood. So right. as soon as they go on the low carb diet, they drop their levels of insulin. And now all of a sudden they can use all of the fat that's in circulation. Their fat cells are still insulin resistant. They're still broken and they're still releasing loads of free fatty acids into Mm. circulation, but we're now able to use them. So all of a sudden we've got all this energy. We're rarely hungry Mm -hmm. because we've got all this energy. We don't need to go chase down a woolly mammoth because, (laughs) you know, we've got half of a woolly mammoth on our bellies (laughs) that's releasing energy. And so now we, we, you know, it's party time. And then what happens is as you lose weight as you lose body fat your fat cells start to become more sensitive to insulin and they start to be able to hold on to that fat which is that that's their job when insulin is high and you reach the point of your fasting insulin level and that's the point where you have enough insulin to your fat cells have become sensitive enough and healthy enough now. It's actually a, a plateau is actually a sign of your fat cells becoming more healthy because yeah. now they can hold on to energy and you basically reach the level of your fasting insulin. And when you hit that level, now it's a, a time where your fat cells are holding on to f- stored energy and you're, um, you're able to use stored energy whenever your fat cells release it, and now you have to wait them out and you have to do things that you can do to lower your fasting insulin. And as you do that, 
your fat cells then release energy And that's exactly what and she did when she did the IFing, the intermittent fasting. Yeah. That was a that's really right. dramatic uh, way to reduce insulin. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's the thing, really. When you're keeping calm and ketoing on, uh, the goal is now to lower your levels of chronic insulin mm. and lower your specifically your fasting insulin and, as you say, IFing and EFing and uh, yeah. uh, these and even the egg fast has probably helped to yeah. uh, shock her body into putting up with just a little bit less insulin. And yeah. as it does, her fat cells become more willing to release their stored energy. It's great, great switching it up. I like to hear that. As we heard from Megan Ramos. Well, we're very happy to have uh, Feng Yuan Liu here. We call her Yuan. She likes to be called Yuan. She is an accredited practicing dietitian, an accredited nutritionist, a level one ISAK anthropometrist. She'll tell you what that is. And a member of the Dietitians Association of Australia. Welcome, Yuan. Thank you very much for having me on. What is an ISAK anthropometrist? And I can't even say that <laughs> word, anthropometrist. Anthropometrist. So basically, it is just a qualification that enables me to take skin faults, so to do body composition analysis. So level one is the most basic level. They do have level two and level three as well. Um, but it is an internationally recognized uh, title. So I can basically go anywhere in the world and use my skills to pinch people's skin, basically. Okay. <laughs> Measure of humans. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's right. So, um, we're just going to let you tell your story. I think Richard brought this to my attention, and I just thought it was such a cool uh, thing. Yeah, I met uh, Yuan in Threadbow at a low-carb event that I did for Rod Taylor, and she came up with a posse uh, all the way from Melbourne, <laughs> and uh, she gave a wonderful presentation on on what it's like for a dietitian who – is willing to prescribe a, a low-carb diet, which is a very unusual thing in Australia. We, we have a dietetic organisation that goes after dietitians who do that and has deregistered a few, and they also go after uh, medical practitioners, other healthcare professionals like uh, Gary Fecky, who we heard from the other day. Yeah. So it, Yuan is a, is a remarkable and rare uh, bonus for, for the low-carb community because – Finally, we have somebody we can send people to who are having trouble with uh, well-formulating a ketogenic diet, mm. and we can say, here's an expert in diet who understands what you're going through and can help you with that, which is a, a wonderful thing. So, welcome you on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and look, I mean, it's been 10 years in the making, I guess, to get me to where I am. And I've gathered, I guess, a lot of insight into what it takes to be a dietitian that, I guess, comes out as a low-carb <laughs> practitioner, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Um, but, you know, I mean, in my 10-year career as a dietitian for about the first six, seven years, I was extremely guidelines driven. So I was practicing in accordance to what we were taught back at uni. And I don't think I even questioned it within about the first two years. But then I started to dabble with, you know, slight changes and tweaks based on what my patients were getting in terms of results and no results. And over the years, it took a lot of seeing clients, seeing them either get results or not get results, for me to finally go, hang on, there might be something not quite right. And really the cohort of clients that allowed me to recognize this was actually my diabetic clients. 
yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. So, when we started off and we were prescribing low GI several times a day, um, it wasn't about total quantity of carbohydrates. It was more about the GI. What we found was that whilst their sugars didn't spike as quickly at that two-hour mark, their overall HbA1c wasn't really improving. Right. And so, that was a really um, – that was a bit of a wake-up call to go, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> like, I'm following everything to a T. Why is this not working? So, I started dabbling on uh, in reducing carbohydrates and reducing the GI value of their foods, of their right. carbohydrate intake. Sure. Um, but I was forever in a day too scared to increase fats. So, it was essentially what turned out to be a lower carbohydrate, higher protein way of eating. Yeah. And and that worked. I mean, that did work. However, it wasn't as satisfying. A lot of my clients were still going hungry. Um, and overall, we weren't able to reduce carbohydrates that much because the fundamental mentality or the thought is that carbohydrate was still that first line of energy and right. fats. Sure. We don't want to increase fats because we didn't want to increase their risk of heart disease. <laughs> yeah. So, it yeah. was this, you know, it was this really weird situation I found myself in where I was kind of neither here nor there. And at that time, I didn't know anything about low-carb, high-fat. For me, it was just based on my experience and it was dabbling based on that. But then um, over the years, I started to incorporate fats in the form of olive oils, avocados, nuts, and seeds, and we the, did the see better fats. results. Yeah, the good fats. You know, the, <laughs> the guidelines prescribed good fats. Yeah, the vegetable-based ones <laughs> that aren't coconut exactly, oil. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, you know, I was getting questions from clients going, oh, you know, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, full cream milk versus skim milk? And I still, I mean, obviously to my horror to this day, but I was still saying, no, no, you know, it's probably the best thing to do is still go for a skim milk. Um, there's still not much, you know, evidence to support that you should be including saturated fats in your diet, which, right. which you have in, in milk. Um, yeah. but it took me, I think, to year six, year seven of my dietetic career. When I personally started um, to gain weight and to give a little bit of background, I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome uh -huh. and I've also got endometriosis. Uh. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I've always been quite active. So, I was um, training quite a lot in aerial arts and aerial sports and I was extremely fit and I never worried about my weight. But sure. then I sustained a couple of shoulder injuries and I also ramped up my work, which meant I pulled back on training quite significantly. Yeah. And it was around that point that I also met my current partner, Sean. Um, and, you know, when you start a new relationship, you go out and eat a little bit more, you relax on the exercise mm -hmm. <laughs> and you sure. relax on the food. And what I found was um, the weight that I never had an issue controlling started to creep up. And I gained about eight kilos in a matter of eight months. So, wow, within wow. a 12-month period. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, you know, Richard's met me. I don't have a big frame. So, eight kilos on me to someone else, they wouldn't be able to tell. That would be significant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was huge. You know, my clothes weren't fitting. I started to develop those handles <laughs> that people talk about. <laughs> 
And it was really frustrating, but the bigger problem wasn't even the fact that I was gaining weight. It was the fact that I had no energy levels. Like my energy levels were just through the floor. Huh. Um, I, yeah, I was constantly craving things. And, you know, I don't talk about this very often because I, for a really long time, was quite ashamed to admit that, you know, I would go to work, I would see clients, I would advise them on what to do, but then I would go home, I'd crack open a packet of Tim Tams. I don't know if right. you know Tim Tams, Carl. I, I don't, but I, I think I can guess. Is that like a ring ding or a cookie like cake? A it's, fudge, it's a fudge biscuit. cookie with, yeah. covered with chocolate. Yeah. They're, they're notorious. Yeah. I used to when I used to do conferences in America. I used to bring like I used, I'm ashamed to admit this. I used to bring like a dozen boxes of Tim Tams over with me to give away as bribes yeah. because it's a, you know it's it's like every other country you bring cash money in America bring Tim Tams to bribe people because they're just like it they're like works. catnip. Well, yeah. you know we we lived on Oreos too at my house for the longest time and uh, yeah it, it's it's a hard cycle to get out of. But you, when it I is. hear you talking about your struggles and 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 your thought processes, you're, you're speaking my language. I mean, and and all these people that have a, a difficulty accepting uh, the ketogenic diet and accepting higher mm. fat, uh, I mean, you're basically just telling the story. It's it's a universal story. It is, it is. And I feel like, you know, if I didn't have my personal experiences, of which there are two, so I'm sharing number one with you. Um, mm -hmm. If I didn't have these experiences, I don't know that I would have been as open um, to... I guess, recommend it to the extent that I recommend it now. Yeah. So, the science is there and I've always been one to be open to science and new science and the development of science. Um, but from a practicality point of view, I think the fact that I have adopted it myself has given me a lot more confidence that this way of eating actually isn't what a lot of people who fear monger around this type of eating is talking about. You know, it, it isn't an extraordinarily high fat diet. It isn't, no. a, you know what I mean? It, it's sure. not a diet where it is just about any type of fat. It's very quality based um, right. and it's very controlled. And I think, you know, if that's something that I can bring to the table to help people understand, then, then that's a win for me. Um, but, you know, in, in that journey where I was going to work and I was saying to people what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing, but then going home and cracking open these packets of Tim Tams and essentially polishing off what amounts to a full packet a a wow. night, I know. Yeah. Um, and it was born from a few different things. One was the insatiable craving that I had. Um, one was the low energy that I experienced and one was the frustration. It was the, I'm trying everything and my weight isn't budging. It was a turning point in my career and it was really hard to, um, to accept. So, for me, there was a lot of that sort of mental battle as well uh, with why is it that what I've been prescribing for so long isn't even working for myself? Because mm. mind you, I did try to put myself on a low-fat calorie-controlled way of eating after my weight started to spiral out of control. Of course. And obviously, my weight didn't mm. go anywhere. It didn't go down. It 
kept going up, in fact, and that was when the confusion really set in. It was, wait a minute, why is my weight continuously going up? And, you know, when you put yourself on a more calorie control diet, in order to eat, the rationale, and this is coming from a dietitian, right? So, the rationale is, well, fats have the most calories, so I'm going to reduce fats. Right. But my body needs energy, so I'm going to have carbs because that's where my energy is going to come from. Right. I want to control my protein so that I'm not overdoing protein mm -hmm. because of people's inherent fear of protein converting to glucose, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and then to fat. So, for me, I put myself on a very moderately low protein, low-ish carbohydrate, but low-fat diet. So, essentially, it was a starvation protocol. Right. Awful. <laughs> and you probably didn't reduce your carbohydrates to the point where your insulin was low enough to access body fat. Definitely Maybe. not. Definitely not. Because, you know, my lunches were, you know, some stir fried chicken breast, ugh, with yeah. rice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it was just little things like that. You know, breakfast when I did. So I wasn't having breakfast consistently. And I was always ashamed to say I wasn't having breakfast consistently, which now I march around proudly to say yes. I don't eat breakfast because yeah. I break yeah. my fast after midday. Um, but at the time when I did have breakfast, it was a whey protein shake. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Or um, a bowl of oats. And it was just horrific to think that. But the funny thing is when I was training, when I was at the peak of my training, I actually, now on reflection, I was actually on a very low carbohydrate protocol. I had five to six whole eggs for breakfast with a whole avocado, a side of spinach and tomato. That was my breakfast. Oh, delicious. And I wow. olive oil. Wow. I know. Mm. And this was without <laughs> me ever hearing about low carbohydrate. This was mm. just me doing that because that's what made me feel good when I was training. Hmm. But funnily enough, um, the disconnect came when I stopped training. I thought that I didn't need all that fat and I started to put myself on a much lower fat protocol. And obviously, yeah. you know, my weight didn't go anywhere. Um, so, that was a really frustrating time for me. So, over that period of time, what did I do? I started to do a lot more research and at that time, a... At one of my clinics that I worked at, there was a receptionist and she ended up being our intern for quite some time. And she was a really, really switched on girl. And she's actually doing dietetics at the moment. And it was her who really spiked my interest in low carbohydrate nutrition. She would not shut up about the ketogenic <laughs> diet. I know. Um, and so, I'm very open-minded naturally. So, I really wanted to hear everything she had to say. And she was linking me to everything. She was linking me to um, low-carb down under seminars and lectures. Um, she was linking me to various podcasts. She introduced me to Jimmy Moore. She introduced mm -hmm. me to you guys, in fact, um, oh, wow. in those very early days. Um, and it was really interesting because... I was listening to everything and I was going, oh my gosh, this makes absolute sense. This makes so much sense. So, obviously, I started to dabble in it myself and I put myself onto a relatively low carb, higher fat um, protocol. I was still very, very scared of animal fats at this yeah. point. Yeah. 
Um, and I went, hang on, this is how I ate when I was training. But funnily enough, I was losing weight. My energy level started to come back. I was feeling so much better. Mm. The weight that was all accumulating around my midsection was starting to come off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a, a little bit of a insight also is during this period of time before I put myself on low carb, I did go and get my fasting bloods done and of which I did get my fasting insulin done and my insulin came back high. And so, what I found was, oh, hang on, there is a correlation here. Um, I am insulin resistant. And I guess yeah. that's when all the different nuts and bolts started to click into place. And I realized I've got PCOS. That's yeah. going yeah. to put me into a position where I am hyperinsulinemic. Right. I was hyperinsulinemic. And when mm-hmm. I drop my carbohydrates and I drop my body secretion of, of insulin, my symptoms, which was the weight gain really started to go away. My energy levels started to improve. And it was a really exciting time. It was a really life-changing time. And it really turned my my life around in that particular instance. So, um, since then, I was starting to really introduce it into my practice. And funnily enough, the problems we encountered initially was people's cholesterol levels going up. So, I educated me around that. Mm -hmm. And it was through these little things, these little um, teething issues that I started to really get a really robust grasp on what low-carb, high-fat and ketogenic nutrition actually involved. Um, And at this point, I was still not very, you know, passionate to the point of, you know, um, <laughs> critiquing other people and calling people out. <laughs> but You got there. <laughs> oh, I got there, exactly. But at this point, I started to realize where all the misinformation lay. And I realized um, along the way that, you know, the focus for so long and the focus I had for so long was telling people that, you know, in order to control their diabetes, sure, we wanted to see their blood glucose and HbA1c reduce, but the goal was to reduce weight. And when Mm, that was our primary goal... And we learnt about calories and, you know, the whole calorie in, calorie out. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we started to cut fats and we started to cut quantity of food. And it wasn't even about quality at that point. It was all about quantity. And at that point, it just really jarred in me that that was where everyone was going wrong. Was that the focus was on weight loss, which if we think about what I experienced personally, the weight gain itself was actually a symptom of what the underlying yes, problem was. Absolutely. In your case, with PCOS, you had hyperinsulinemia. And as somebody with Han Chinese ancestry, uh, you're not predisposed to become obese like a Northern European. I mean, uh, as somebody with Scottish hist- ancestry, uh, you know, can get to 200 kilograms and still be not quite yet diabetic. And Correct. somebody who is like has Indian or, or, or Han Chinese ancestry can, can go from a slight pot belly to all of a sudden blood sugars in ranges that are, you know, are damaging their, their kidneys, eyes, you know, all these kinds of issues. So you're really lucky that you, you managed to find it despite your dietetic training. Yeah, absolutely. And the that was really a blessed moment because, you know, a lot of people would always say, oh, look, you know, you um, coming from a Chinese background, Chinese people are also skinny and, you know, you don't have <laughs> right. those issues. But then I'm thinking, hang on, if, have you been to China in recent years? Um, right. Diabetes is an epidemic over there, you know, diabetes. Absolutely. Cardiovascular disease. And they are starting to see outward 
weight gain. So actually, um, you start to see even in children that they're starting to put on a lot more weight than they used to. And you're right, Richard, in that my parents both have mild non-alcoholic fatty liver. And they also, um, obviously, since my own experience, I got them to check their fasting insulin. Mm -hmm. I got them to do everything. And both of them were mildly insulin resistant as well. Wow. And um, so, and and that's the other funny story is I've I've made my dad promptly go on a low-carb, high-fat way of eating, Mm. incorporating intermittent fasting, and he dropped about seven kilos in seven weeks. Um, And it was ridiculous (laughs) how quickly he dropped that. But, um, yeah, all of these little experiences, personal experiences, really uh, – formed that foundation. It really helped to cement my belief in low-carb nutrition and made me want to really research a little bit more into it. And then I guess the next phase of it was, you know, I was starting to introduce low-carb, high-fat to my clients, um, but still not to the point of ketogenic. I was still not 100% um, well-versed with ketogenic nutrition. I was still learning about it. I was still hearing about it, reading about it, but I wasn't dabbling in it. I wasn't checking blood ketones, none of that. But then, obviously, um, my partner, to give you a bit of background about Sean, is that he has Crohn's disease. Oh, and nice. Yeah, and he's had Crohn's disease diagnosed for 17 years. Wow. And in that time, he's had two bowel resections. Um, and six strictureplasties. And he's been on a whole host of different types of medication. He's been on steroids. And he's... At that point where, you know, you could see he's got that, we call it steroid face or moon face. Um, mm. He has that blown up round face from over, yeah. you know, overuse of steroids. Right. And when I met him, he was managed on Humira, um, which is an anti-tumor necrosis factor medication. So, he was injecting himself once a fortnight. And right. with that, it was keeping his inflammation and his Crohn's disease under wraps, but it was never 100%. He was still getting some mild inflammation on a mm. daily basis, mm. and he was still getting stricture pains because of um, inflammation that was causing the strictures to, to swell. Sure. And it was really, really painful, and you could tell, and he was constantly fearful. He was always doubled over. He never stood up particularly straight. He was always, you know, guarding his belly, so to speak. Mm. And then it got to a point where, you know, we just went, this isn't the way to live. You know, he wasn't eating particularly great. Like, his diet was very carb-centric. Um, mm. He was eating noodles. He was eating Subway rolls. Sure. He was eating, you know, he went to Japan and lived in Japan for six months at one point in his life. So, he was eating a lot of ramen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And as you do. Rice, <laughs> as you do. And he loved mm-hmm. it. But, um, you know, he did that because his doctors forever was telling him that nutrition has nothing to do with your Crohn's disease. Diet has nothing to do with it. You don't need to cut back on your diet. Do you know what I mean? Uh, um, yeah, that's what we call foreshadowing, kids. I, yeah, I can yeah. get this story coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they say you don't need to change anything. Um, so, he didn't. And they were trying to throw sustagen at him. They were trying to do all these things when he was in hospital. Um, and his yeah. impression of a dietitian was pretty poor. So, when he heard I was a yeah. dietitian, he wasn't too impressed <laughs> to start with. So, sus- sustagen is like a liquid diet, right? So, high glucose liquid diet. I know. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, um, no. Yeah. 
It, it is. So, Sustagen is – well, the hospital formula is a complete – what they call complete nutrition. So, it is all your <laughs> right. vitamins, all your minerals. Yeah. Um, it has protein in there. It's got some fats in there and it's got glucose in there in the formulation according to, you know, what they deem as complete nutrition. Yeah, gotcha. um, But when you look at the ingredients, you know, it's it's milk solids, it's corn yeah, syrup. Corn it's all the yeah. all the <laughs> yeah, it's all the nasties, really. What are they doing? But, um, you just uh, want to smack these people. <laughs> that's another fight, trust me. <laughs> um, and so we did decide, you know what, let's do it. Let's start you on a ketogenic diet. Let's really get the numbers right. So I sat there, I did all the calculations, um, formulated a ketogenic protocol for him and put him on ketogenic way of eating. Mind you, he was unable to finish his food. First day, first week, in fact, he would sit there and it would take him almost an hour to finish his meal. He's like, this is so much food. This is so much more food than I've ever eaten. This is so much more protein than I've ever eaten. And you can see it's not even that much protein that we recommend. Recommended, hmm, but yeah. even then, that's more than he's ever been used to. He was never a red meats person. He never liked chunks of red meat like steak on the plate. And now he's got a smoker. <laughs> an offset smoker he's one of us basically he's got an offset smoker and he loves his meats <laughs> so uh so, how did the crones go okay so 18 months ago is when we started this over the mm-hmm. course of 18 months he's crohn's disease is completely under control zero wow. inflammation whoa his inflammatory marker is five, so CRP is five. Right. By the way, what are the good ranges of CRP? This is this comes under up once five. in a while. Okay. Yeah, so under five is usually considered normal. Um, for yeah. someone who has an autoimmune inflammatory condition, though, to get it on five is pretty impressive. Like, it's wow. amazing. Considering yeah. his CRP at one stage was hovering at 65, or oh. I think it was even higher than that. Yeah, right. yeah. I think it was actually higher. I remember him saying it was probably even in the 80s. So, it was actually incredibly high. And to get that down from where that used to be to now five, he's due for a colonoscopy and a gastroscopy. So, we'll see what the results are there, but we're pretty confident that he's doing really, really well. Well, let's give um, Sean a round of applause. Well done, yeah, Sean. Well a done. round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> well done, sir. He is no longer on medication either. So, he's now <laughs> no longer on any medication. It's purely diet controlled. And in the process, he's dropped 22 kilos as well. So, I wow. mean, having him go through that and seeing his results on a daily basis, this has cemented not only my belief in keto diets and low-carb nutrition, it has actually made me f- extremely passionate as an advocate for keto nutrition right. and also, I guess, as an advocate for the right type of formulation when it comes to low-carb, high-fat and not, you know, um, having people have these weird concepts that high-fat equals 90% fat from diet. Like, right, no yeah, yeah. ketogenic diet w- is ever 90% from fat. Um, and <laughs> we want people to understand that when it comes to formulation, everybody is an individual. And that's where yeah. I really value my job as a dietitian is that I'm able to do that. I'm able to assess on the front line what each person needs. And we're, ab- we're able to adjust fat intake, we're able to adjust carbohydrate, we're able to adjust protein to allow them to A, 
actually adapt into using fat for fuel, Mm -hmm. but more primarily helping them achieve what their goals are, whether it is inflammation control, weight loss, diabetes control, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So let's get to the rogue part of our rogue dietitian (laughs) uh, podcast here today. So uh, apparently some people didn't like what you were doing. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) Look, I mean, a lot of people don't like what I'm doing. When I first started to be quite vocal about low carbohydrate nutrition and my views on it, I was reported to the DAA. Um, I'm not going to name names, but I was reported to the DAA by a fellow dietitian whom I had never met hmm. and still to this day have never met or engaged in any conversation on social media or in, or over the phone. So there I was know no the dietitian di- you're talking about too. <laughs> <laughs> There's been no dialogue, um, but she reported me. And the premise mm-hmm. of being reported was the fact that I was not, I guess, behaving myself on social media. But really what it boiled down to was the fact that I had a differing viewpoint to hers Mm. when it came to nutrition. And that, to be really honest, it did stir me up quite a lot because at that point we had just opened up our Metro Dietetics headquarters in Mm -hmm. Thornbury and we were just starting to roll out services and and start to, you know, really get ourselves um, up. Up until that point, I was working out of various other doctor's clinics and this was our first headquarters. This was our first home base. Um, And we were, you know, really, we were taking a lot of pride in how we were setting it up and what we were going to do with it. But then the complaint came in at that time and it stopped me from doing a lot of things. I wasn't able to be as vocal for, for quite some time and I didn't want to lose my accreditation because I saw what had happened to Jen Elliott and Mm -hmm. I was extremely cautious not to follow the same fate that Jen did Mm. and for me she was deregistered wasn't she she was giving a a low-carb healthy fat uh, advice to diabetics and curing them and this was actually in the region where, where I was living at the time and had just been diagnosed as diabetic. So there's a, there's a possibility that the Dietitians Association of Australia doing that, what they did to Jennifer Elliott, uh, prevented me from get me personally from getting reasonable advice. I could have, it could have saved me two or three years of a, of high blood sugar. Wow. That's right. But that's just and a in, personal story. Wow. And you know what? And this is the thing, right? In Jen's situation, I mean, it, it was a bit of an unlucky situation where she was working in a community health um, capacity and they right. have their own sort of set of rules and guidelines. And there's a lot more colleagues who would be, you know, turning their nose at what she's doing if it's not following protocol, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. But for us, we're, we're a private practice. And so we technically hold all the risk ourselves and we yep. do have. Have sure. that level of protection in that particular sense. And I'm really happy we do because it has allowed us to practice the way we do. But at the same time, in the back of my head, it's always been, oh, what if I get deregistered? What if I get pulled up? And obviously, when I was reported, it sparked a audit. And mm. that year, they, they went through my... Um, my CPD log, my professional development log, and yep. they failed me. They said, oh, it's not logged in the right way. The wording of your log isn't right. So, they failed me. Bureaucrats. <laughs> I know, basically. Um, and I went, all right, okay, cool. So, they said, well, because of this and because you failed, we're going to be automatically auditing you again next year, which is this year just gone. Huh. And they yeah. said, if you fail again, we will be suspending your accreditation until, obviously, um, you fix it. 
Was there any mm. legitimacy to their claims about the way things were written? Is was something that you could fix, or, or did it or did it seem like they were they were just doing that to to find something to throw you under the bus with? Look, look, I mean, legitimacy, yes. I have to admit, I'm not the best at keeping the most thorough CPD logs. So, I mean, they did have a sense of legitimacy if it came to, I wasn't thorough enough with logging it in accordance to what they wanted. But in terms of, is that just a matter of, you know, wording and therefore, is that really the most important part of it? Is it the fact that I didn't do my professional development? No, it's just the fact that I didn't log it in accordance to what they wanted. So, you know, I'll let people debate on whether that's legitimate or not. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, what it did was it sparked a subsequent audit this last year just gone. And when that was all happening, it was also around the same time that I saw a hot topic by the DAA and it was on low-carb nutrition and type 2 diabetes. And they slammed the use of low-carbohydrate diets for type 2 diabetes. The, The thing that confused me, though, was apart from the fact that they quoted a few flawed studies. Mm-hmm. They actually quoted a study by Eric Westman. And no it was probably the most comprehensive um, journal article on why low-carb nutrition is actually better for type 2 diabetes management. Right, right. And right. so- all I did was that was actually was sparked my um, series of critiques and that was my first evidence-based assessment. So, I went through all of their points, quoted them verbatim and wrote down what I thought um, was going on and also using, you know, my own research papers that I found plus also re-quoting Eric Westman's original article. That they and- cited. <laughs> And yeah. that they cited, exactly right. They brought so, it into evidence, it's their fault. And that's exactly <laughs> right. And um, it went crazy. So, it went absolutely crazy. I'm sure people from the DAA saw it as well. I never got a response, mind you. Um, all I knew was that was something that people in the low-carb community were really looking for, was someone to actually challenge the authority, challenge the DAA. Mm. And up until this point, not many dietitians who are currently still registered are challenging the DAA. And the biggest fear they have is being deregistered. And honestly, what went through my head after I published that was, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a call from the DAA. Mm. I'm going to get a registered post from them. I'm going to have my accreditation stripped. But at that point, to be really honest, my desire to get the right message out trumped my desire to stay accredited. So, at that point, I just went, excuse my language, but I went, f*** it. I don't care. I actually don't (laughs) care. If it means I get deregistered because I'm doing something that I believe in, then let it be. Um, But mind you, I didn't hear back from them. Instead, what had happened was my, obviously, they were auditing my CPD logs. I somehow managed to lock myself out of being able to edit my CPD logs. And so I went, oh, geez, okay, this is it. This is it. I'm getting (laughs) my accreditation taken away. (laughs) I can't even access my logs. (laughs) I'm so screwed. Um, And guess what? I literally got a letter about a week after the, um, you know, the, the closing of all the logs. I got a letter from them saying, you've passed your audit. Wow, great. And I went, and I went, hang on, I haven't even updated my log. How can I pass my audit? <laughs> Mind you, I'm probably, if anyone from DAA is listening to this, I'm probably throwing myself under right, the bus. Right, they're going to say, wait a minute. 
They're not, they're not regular <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. And if they are, good on them, right? I know, right? But do you know what I mean? And and that just made me go, woohoo, I've still got yet another breath to fight. So um, it just really sparked a lot more passion in me, especially now, you know, with my personal experience with low carb, with Sean's experience with low carb, we yeah. just decided we are going to practice based on science. We're not going to practice based on guidelines. I've got no interest in the guidelines. The guidelines are so loose and the guidelines are so broad. And, and mind you, guideline the guideline number three is so wrong. It just makes me not want to even even bother with it and so for is that us, the one that about- says that carbohydrates must be between 40 and 60 percent <laughs> well that's the well that's the um that's the i guess the australian guide to healthy eating so yes right. they do recommend that but when we look at the actual australian dietary guidelines they've got a series of five different guidelines of which mm. guideline number three says limit intake of foods containing saturated fats right. added ah. salt added sugar, and alcohol. But what they don't talk about is foods that are commercially produced, that are completely highly processed, that are rich right. in refined carbohydrates. Mm. And yeah. um, I was actually having a little bit of a Twitter exchange recently about the definition of, you know, saturated fats and how right. they can say things like potato crisps and chips are rich in saturated fats. And it's just these little things that are extremely confusing to the general public. Sure. Confusing to me as a practitioner yeah there's no saturated fat in potatoes <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, and they're and, most likely cooked in trans fats or uh, exactly you know seed oil right. yeah. exactly right and the, the 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 sad thing about that is you know their failure to to open themselves up to this discussion because you know when these points are challenged and when discussions are had that's when improvement happens and when they close themselves off to having any discussion around these topics it means that they're not open to improvement and so really at the end of the day, sometimes it feels like all you're doing is just banging your head against a brick wall. You're getting absolutely nowhere. Uh, so oh, that's so frustrating. It is very frustrating. Mm. So we've just decided to opt out of doing guidelines-based nutrition. After all, they are guidelines. They're not there to dictate what we do person to person. And that is my justification you know, every single day of why I do what I do because the people that come and see me, they're not going to benefit from the guidelines. They're going to benefit from more specific tailored nutrition. Absolutely. And if tailoring means lowering their carbohydrates and upping their fats and adjusting their protein to match their requirements, then that's exactly what we're going to do. And it's gotten to a point where we're at that pinnacle where we have been doing this now for a couple of years at our HQ, that center where we have Mm -hmm. all autonomy over what we do. We have seen such phenomenal results. We have helped people reverse off medication for their diabetes. We have helped people control the inflammation to the point where they had really bad arthritic pain for really long periods of time. And now they're able to be a lot more limber. They're moving a lot easier. They're not getting the same joint pains that they used to get. We have people who, when they first came to see us, were 150 kilos and over a period of 12 months have dropped to 90 kilos. And, you know, all through that, it was by adjusting bit by bit, slowly, slowly, getting them into a low carbohydrate state. This particular girl that I'm talking about turns around after 12 months and goes, Am I on that keto thing? (laughs) (laughs) You may be. (laughs) And my response is exactly that. It was, you might be, but I guess because we (laughs) haven't focused on checking ketones because that's not our primary concern, I don't know. (laughs) Um, 
But now that we know, you know, that a lot of people are trying to dabble in keto, a lot of people are trying to dabble their hands in low-carb nutrition, but are completely butchering it and not doing it properly. Yeah. And as a result, a lot of these people who have, you know, tried it and don't get results, they're the ones who are actually saying to other people who haven't even tried it, don't try it. It's a right. scam. It doesn't work. You'll feel so, horrible, uh, you know, and you exactly, know, they get the keto exactly. flu and electrolyte loss and, and they don't have enough salt. They'll get and, some cramps and then they're yeah. off it. They go, no, no. Yeah. No, that's my, it. I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Nail polish breath. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they say all these things. And so, um, for us, it's about educating people around what it actually means to be in ketosis. And for us, really, at the end of the day, um, that's what prompted us to start the Keto Clinic, which we've just actually launched. And mm. it's for us to help hold people's hand through the process of keto fat adaption. Great. And we want to help people to adapt into burning fat for fuel to help their metabolic um, processes and we aren't accepting everyone you know what I mean we're really wanting to attract people who really genuinely would benefit from keto sure. we don't Brilliant. want just em- any average person who just wants to try it because they think it's trendy we want people mm. who would metabolically and hormonally actually benefit from a ketogenic approach um, and we will hold their hand through it and and teach them the ways show them what it means um, and get them on to that journey for life really you know, I can only stand and applaud, give a standing ovation to that because that entire approach is going to turn around the lives of people for whom standard of care approaches are just putting them into a box. Right. So, you know, you're mm. literally going to save the lives of hundreds of thousands of people who go through your practice and who are influenced by those who go through your practice. And, and that's exactly what we're hoping to do is that, you know, we are, we see the light. Um, we see how much research is being done around it. We are following it with a very keen eye and we are adjusting our approach as the research comes through. So we're constantly improving ourselves as well. Wonderful. And that's the thing, you know, I mean, when I first started learning about keto nutrition, I thought it was a very strict 70, 20, 10 split. And then mm-hmm. it, I started to realize it is not that. It's extraordinarily flexible mm-hmm. person to person. And that's where we are at the moment. So that's why we want to help people hold their hand through it. We don't want to just basket them into this. Oh, it's just a particular macro split and that's it. Sure. And then have people he- listen to the likes of, you know, some prominent Australian researchers and say that there's no fiber and that it's all meat based and, right, right, you know, right. have all these wrong messages being told. So I got to ask the- this i think and i think richard's with me that the probably the biggest hurdle to get over is the cholesterol hurdle and that's just yes. not only because cholesterol tends to go up for hyper responders and you know a lot of us are but mm. that everything that we think about high cholesterol is based in folly and yeah. and you really have to convince people that everybody's got it wrong and you know i know that's a hard and one. And do you know what? Do you know what, Carl? That's the hardest one. It really is. Um, it's the one we battle the most with the doctors. It's the one we battle the most with our clients, which is why we have decided um, to do the education around cholesterol on the front end. So before they even get new bloods done, we look at their current bloods or their baseline bloods and we educate them around what the levels should look like, what to expect on a ketogenic approach and why they shouldn't nice. worry. 
And we allow people to understand that having more cholesterol, total cholesterol, is not a bad thing. And the fact that our bodies absolutely need cholesterol, we need it to to synthesize hormones, we need it to, you know, we need it to do all the processes that our body is designed to do properly. And without cholesterol, we actually don't get any of those hormones produced in adequate quantities, and we don't have those pathways happening in the way that they should. And we educate around the fact that it's not about total cholesterol, but rather we should be looking at triglyceride levels. We yeah. should be looking at um, HDL levels. We should be yeah. looking at the LDL subfractions. We should be looking mm. at inflammation. CRT. We should be looking yeah. at insulin. We should be looking at all of these other markers that are so important. We get people to look at cortisol. I mean, one group of people that we work a lot with are business owners and entrepreneurs who are experiencing, um, you know, in the colloquial term, burnout. So, these mm-hmm. are people who are extremely stressed and mm. the stress is driving inflammation up and it's yeah. driving all of these things um, up. And one of the things that we get people to really understand is that we need to drive inflammation and drive stress down and we just get them to get the right pathology done. So, um, one thing we're really particular about is pathology. We always get people to get a very thorough uh, range of bloods done and we always educate. So education is the next most important thing for us is pathology and education hand in hand is what we do. Um, and it's why we do what we do because we want people to understand that everything they've ever learned about nutrition up until now is likely wrong. And mm. what we need to do is essentially wipe the slate clean, rewire their brains, mm-hmm. um, and get them to think things differently. And, you know, it's so valuable the fact that I've had to go through that process and do it myself because I understand the struggles that these guys are going through and I can hold their hand and really coach them through that process because I mind you that you know having to completely disregard everything I've ever done and have to come to terms with the fact that the way I've practiced for the first seven years was you know in short wrong Mm. is really difficult it is extremely difficult yeah well Good on you for doing it. And, uh, Yuan, I, I, this is just a fantastic story. Richard and I really believe that dietitians are going to lead the charge in turning this world around. So, uh, you are to be completely applauded. Thank you. Thank yeah, you thank very, you. very much. Thank you. So, so how can people find your practice and what, uh, uh populations? I mean, are you limited to only Australian customers or can you, uh, practice worldwide? Cool. So, um, we've got obviously the new, the keto clinic by Metro Dietetics, um, which is mm-hmm. under our main business, Metro Dietetics. We are physically located in Thornbury, um, Victoria. I don't know if you want me to provide a link or I'll give you the address so you can link it, um, I, either, yeah. right, either way, but. Well, uh, the they can find us beautiful so they can find us physically but because of um the fact that the keto clinic is going to be mostly an online based approach where we do have touch bases but we can do it via skype or phone um nice. and all in person it's not limited to australia it is completely international so anybody who wants to do the program is open to doing the program um we hold their hand through everything in fact i've just spent the last you know 
three days developing everything that needs to go into that program and it looks phenomenal at this stage. I'm so excited. Wow. Like I'm personally excited. <laughs> um, we get them to track absolutely everything and that's how they find it. So, we're not limited to Australia. We're not even limited to, you know, um, yeah, we're not limited to Melbourne, that's for sure. And mm. really at the end of the day, people who want to find us, they can either find us based on the link you'll provide. They can call mm-hmm. us. They can email us. So, I'll give all those details to you so you can link that, um, but they can definitely find us. And the beauty of it is that we are a team and we do have, uh, in, in addition to myself, we've got a couple of dietitians and a nutritionist. Richard's met um, our nutritionist. Yes. Yeah. And they're all low carb practitioners. So all of us yeah. are low carb dietitians and nutritionists. Fantastic. I'd love to have a chat to Viv on the show. Yes. He's a bodybuilder who, uh, who does targeted, uh, uh, carbohydrate cycling and is also insulin resistant and is keeping control of his insulin resistance. And, uh, he has a fascinating story. So we'll have a chat to Viv. Yeah, let's, oh, let's Viv have him has, on. Viv has a, a very, very fascinating story. I think he would love that. Um, and Viv, you know, if you're hearing this, I am throwing you under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yuan, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and we wish you very much success in the future. We know you're going to have it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, and I'm going to recommend to anybody who is uh, looking for targeted advice on their diet uh, to get in touch with Metro Dietetics because um, they're going to find people who not only understand diet and essential nutrition, but also understand it in the context of a ketogenic approach. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Yuan. See you later. Bye-bye. Well, you know, it's it's almost beginning to sound like a broken record, these stories. Uh, not only of know, her right? fixing herself and her husband fixing himself, but um, uh, just the, you know, the, the stuff that people are putting up with from the establishment. Yeah, well, the thing is that... Uh that she is the beginning of a of a wave of, of dietitians and these guys are the ones who are going to save the world because with medicine we can't get somebody to a low enough glucose level so that their disease reverses. Yeah. We can only get them to a point where that they progress as slowly as we can possibly make them do. Yeah. So the only way to get them below that level so that their disease goes backwards is through diet and yeah. the experts in this are dietitians and as long as the peak bodies start deregistering dietitians who attempt to to cure people this way, um, they're standing in the way of progress. Yeah. Well, are you hungry, buddy? I'm really hungry. (laughs) All right. Let's lay on some recipes. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. I think I'll go first today, yes. Sure. So I'm, I make this for myself maybe once a month and, uh, I, I just, it's so simple, but it's so delicious and, uh, I'll share it with you now. This is a ribeye Philly cheesesteak stir fry. Oh, so I love Philly cheesesteaks. I've always loved yeah. steak, mushrooms, onions, peppers, or capsicum, you call it garlic, yep. you know, sauteed all up with some melty cheese on it. So that's essentially what it is. You can uh, change these ratios if you want to, but I just picked some standard ratios here. Uh, You want like six to eight ounces of fatty ribeye cut into bite-sized pieces. If you like your steak rare, 
make your chunks thicker, right? So they cook on the mm. outside and not so much on the yeah. inside. If you like Absolutely. them done a little firmer, then slice it thin on the bias. So you figure mm. that out. Mm -hmm. uh, two tablespoons of olive oil, two tablespoons of butter. Melt that in a pan over medium heat. You want to add in uh, a cup of chopped mushrooms, a cup of chopped bell peppers, whatever color mm -hmm. you like, and only about a third of a cup of chopped onions because onions do have a bit more sugar than most vegetables. So yeah. I like to limit mine a little bit. Mm -hmm. So saute all of that up, and I use a cast iron wok for this, but you can use a mm -hmm. fry pan or whatever. Saute all yep. that up over medium heat for about three minutes just to start the uh, the vegetables cooking. Now you mm. want to add the ribeye and the garlic. You don't want to add the garlic right away because it might burn. So Yeah. Yeah. So now you add the ribeye and the garlic and you just continue to saute that up to the desired doneness. For me, it's about five to seven minutes, maybe five mm -hmm. minutes for me. And now I want to salt, pepper, seasoning, whatever other seasonings you like. I just like pure salt and pepper. That's that's good enough for mm -hmm. me. Um, sometimes uh, if I'm cooking this for my partner, she is allergic to onions. So I use onion right. powder because that works mm -hmm. for her. But, but when I get to cook it for myself, I use onions. Yeah. All right. So now you salt and pepper to taste. You taste it. It all tastes good. Now you mm -hmm. sprinkle the cheese on top. Now I have... A love affair with Havarti, creamy Havarti cheese. Mm, you yeah. know, it's mm -hmm, just <laughs> so creamy and good and delicious and salty. So it's hard to shred though because it's kind of sticks together. But you can shred yeah. it with a with a cheese grater. Um, about a half a cup, a cup, whatever you like. Just put it on top. Now here's the thing: turn it off and cover it. So the okay. cheese melts, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to burn or stick to the pan, you know, and that uh, gives everything mm. a minute to be happy together. Let it stand for about three yeah. minutes off the heat. Yeah. I'm a big fan of resting meats. Yeah. Uh, yeah when yeah. cooking right. because, yeah. So now if you really want to gild the lily, you can put <laughs> a couple of quail eggs on top or just chicken eggs or duck eggs or whatever. Just sure. fry some sunny yeah. side up eggs. What you got. And just put yep. them right on top there and mmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, you eat it in a bowl like it's a stir-fry? Absolutely. Philly cheese stir-fry. I eat it in a bowl with a- uh, I start with a fork and I end so up good. with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. That's my recipe. What do you got? Okay, I've got an interesting recipe today. This one's called Rillettes de Pork au Grace de Wah, which Whoa. is pork rillettes with goose fat. Now, wow. the way this works, it's actually <laughs> a replacement. It's a meat spread, very similar to pate, but it uses, doesn't use liver. Okay. It uses pork. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with some pork shoulder. It's also known as Boston butt, and I'm mm. going to use some pork belly as well, and I'm going to cook it down in a slow cooker. And you've seen my slow cooking meat recipes before where I put yeah. an entire joint in and I end up with the long fibers, maybe four to six inch long fibers, yeah. and then they soak up the, the juices. This one I'm, we're actually going to cut into one inch chunks because we don't want the long fibers. We want this meat to render down uh, in the fat. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to start off with about four kilograms of uh, boneless pork shoulder. Now, when mm. you go buy boneless pork shoulder, often there'll be a large... Um, shoulder bone in that 
joint. So what I do is I carve around the shoulder bone and then I put it in the top of the pot and let all the meat and the fat render off the bones and cool. just pull the bone out at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're going to go with about four kilograms of Boston butt and we're going to go with about one kilogram of pork belly. Nice. And this is going to be pork belly with the skin removed. We're going to cut into one-inch chunks. Okay. We're going to throw that in a slow cooker, and we're going to add about six sprigs of thyme. I've just got a thyme plant in the garden. I just uh, – lemon thyme, in fact. Do you cook all the pork together? You're cooking all of the pork together. You're going to render it. All, to, all at once. Yeah. Yeah. And you're rendering it down to – I've got a big five-liter – uh, crock pot uh, mm. or slow cooker, mm. and it's filled to the brim. In fact, in my kitchen right now, <laughs> I'm cooking Rulias de Pork. Wow. The traditional recipe is to you put pork skin and everything all in there and you render a lot more fat off. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to add some goose fat. I'm going to add about uh, 350 grams of goose fat. You could use duck fat. You, you could use chicken fat. If you can get schmaltz, then right. um, that's chicken fat. Um I, I like to I like to have the pork meat with a bit of the pork fat, but with the uh, waterfowl fats are just more flavoursome. They carry sure. more flavour, and so yeah. this is really an issue of flavour. And so what you're going to do is you're going to render down all of that meat. It's going to take about six, seven, eight hours. You just got to keep going in and 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 checking the meat to see if uh, it's tender, if the meat falls apart. Mm. And then what we're going to do is normally with these recipes, I just Shred it, sh- straighten the bowl in with the fat, and and the meat just picks up that fat. But this time, what we're going to do is we're going to pour off the liquid. The liquid will be mostly fat. Yeah. Um, I should have mentioned I put uh, some bay leaves in as well, about All six right. bay leaves yeah. in this, and I also put about three cups of water. Just I always start off with a liquid of some kind so that the meat doesn't catch. So sure. I start off with about three cups of water, and that'll evaporate off. Yeah. What we're going to end up with at the end, the juices are going to be pork-flavoured pork and goose fat yeah. mainly. And so we pour off this liquid and we end up with the dry meat and then get in there with some forks and really shred it up to till it's really fine. You don't want any chunks at all because we're going to be turning this into a pate. Yeah. So I then add back about three-quarters of that fat-juice mixture, mix it all up, and then I, I get some wide-mouth jars – and fill them with this meat pate mixture. It's pate in texture, not in, in it's not. It's so not you don't, river, obviously. you don't put it in a food mill and grind it up into, uh, you know, a, a paste or whatever. No, 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 you could do that. Would it wreck it though? I wonder. I don't think so. No, yeah. I think it would make it just more, more pasty, con- pasty yeah, yeah. texture. Mm-hmm. So before you let this cool, you add some uh, flavorings to it. I add a little bit of fresh lemon juice, um, mm. maybe the juice of two or three lemons mm. and some, you can add some lemon zest as well. You can also add freshly ground nutmeg and salt and pepper to taste. So we're, we're t- what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to, to produce this meat spread that has a, just a slight Nutmeggy taste, but it's really bringing the flavour of the of the of the pork. I put it in in uh, cleaned mason jars or wide mouth jars mm. or um, tubs. Sometimes uh, we're making about four four kilos of this stuff, so it's a lot. You can actually give this away as, as gifts. So we've we've put three quarters of the of the fat in with the mixture and added the flavourings. And now what we're going to do is we're going to put them in our jars. And that final quarter of fat we're going to pour over the top to seal nice. the jars. And yeah. now they can they can they can sit there, they can sit in your fridge for for 
you know, months. Right. Uh, sealed, under fat, moisture can't get in, moisture can't get out. Great. And uh, so um, n- now you just let them cool in, in your fridge. And you can give them as wa- away as gifts um, because, you know, it's just a, mm, a, a jar sure. of, uh, of meat, a meaty spread for somebody to pour on <laughs> cheese. Uh, I mean, yeah. if you have a carb burner, they could probably yeah. put them on crackers, but, you know. Right. Uh, so yeah. that's my recipe. It's rillettes de pork with goose fat. That sounds absolutely amazing. Well, as I say, I'm just cooking it right now. So uh, I'm, I plan to eat some of that today. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we do apologize for running long, but we thought we wanted to uh, let you on talk as much as you wanted to. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, we, we wouldn't have missed it for the world. So that's the show, buddy. Yeah, of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something you said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, and make sure you use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. <laughs> of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's free, and it's a forum at forum.2keto.com. Yeah. And if useless swag is your fancy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all okay. that other junk, head over to yep. gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, why not make a pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see our podcast and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes. 2 Keto Dudes is brought to you by 2 Keto LLC and produced by Pwop Productions, providing audio, video, and podcast production services since 2002. Online at pwop.com. Keep calm and keto on, Richard. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Cal. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. <laughs>